Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Thank you, Scott and Courtney. And Fast Money begins right now, of course, live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square, New York. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk tonight are Pete Nigerian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, City's top equity strategist saying, do not fear the bears. Tobias Levkovich will join us to explain why he is still betting on the bulls. Plus, with just two weeks down until Christmas, are we looking at a season of pain for retailers? Or will it be a... Holly jolly Christmas. Whoa. Former Home Depot CEO Bob Nardelli will be here. There is much to do with the markets and your money as well. But first, we begin with President Trump's now two-front war. Of course, you've got the ongoing trade fight with China and now an escalating war of words with the Democrats around Eamon Javers breaking down what was a wild day at the White House. Eamon. Yeah, Brian, that's right. It began this morning with the president tweeting out that negotiations were going well with the Chinese and that people should be on the lookout for some significant announcements. We haven't seen any of those announcements through the course of the day today. No indication that anything is coming necessarily anytime soon from this uh, negotiation. But uh, the other negotiation that was going on here at the White House, Brian, was the one between Democrats and Republicans in terms of keeping the government open beyond December 21st. Remember, there's a big funding battle going on right now. The president wants $5 billion in funding for his wall. The Democrats don't want to give it to him. They don't think the wall is necessary. They don't want to give the president a political win. That led to this meeting that we saw today in the Oval Office between uh, incoming Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, the president and the vice president. And things didn't go well. Here's a snippet from that feisty exchange in the Oval today. Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. And I am proud, and I'll tell you what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck, because the people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle Good. of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border But we security. believe you shouldn't okay. shut it down. So that gives you a sense of the tenor of the meeting today. Uh, after that on-camera session, the leaders had an off-camera session here at the White House. And uh, Nancy Pelosi is just telling reporters up on Capitol Hill uh, that she and the president had what she calls a constructive phone call uh, late this afternoon. In fact, just a few minutes ago, according to reporters uh, now on the Hill. So there were negotiations behind the scenes here. But what we saw in public, uh, Brian was very feisty and gave us no real indication that the two sides were going to come to any agreement anytime soon. Yeah, a little feisty there on camera. Both sides want to put on the best face, and hopefully they're talking a little more civilly behind the camera. Thank you very much, Eamon Jabbers. You bet. All right, by the way, a special shout-out to our friends. we got some big viewers in Kansas City. Kansas City tonight, we got a whole company, Digital Evolution, who's watching. So don't screw it up, Adami. I'm going to Kansas City. Stop Stop singing. All right, now let's go back to the markets. Chargers 31, (laughs) Chiefs 24 Thursday night. Stocks attempting to rally today after yesterday's big reversal. The S&B bounced right off the 2018 lows. 
But as the chaos picked up, the rally lost steam. Both the Dow and the S&P 500 ultimately closing in the red. Here's the question, guys. Yes. And Guy. Yes. Is there too much turmoil in D.C.? How about this? Does the D.C. turmoil, Mueller's investigation, heating up, now this kind of back and forth? Does that impact the market? More investigation, absolutely. I think that, to me, is not the market is not pricing in. I mean, Pete can speak to the VIX, but if the more investigation, if there's anything behind it, and it's not a political comment, the VIX should be closer to 30 than to 22, number one. The government shutdown, to me, is just folly theater. I don't think the market cares one way or another. That'll sort itself out. But the situation in China, the way the market traded, is concerning. You know, six months ago, you have a positive headline like that off a soft that we've seen. The market would have... Open higher and built steam the rest of the day. Open higher today and gave it back. So I think there's reasons to continue to think lower. I think the fact that we're not talking about Europe except for Tim Seymour is an issue. I think this China thing is going to drag on, which is an issue. And quite frankly, yeah. maybe the economies globally are just slowing down. And I want to keep it. Listen, I know there's plenty of political shows out there. They can do the political side. But I want to talk about the political side as it pertains to the markets. Tim Seymour. Well, you got a a little taste, a little whiff of what bipartisan Washington can look like. And it's never been great for the markets. And, you know, but it's never been awful for the markets. I mean, think about it. You know, granted, to remind why I think Trump has been so good for the market is you essentially had a clean sweep of all branches of government, and really they were able to push through whatever they wanted. Um, We already know that the win back on the Senate is something that's changed the mood a little bit already. I agree with Guy on the folly or the theater. Um, Bottom line here is I think the biggest issue is the global economy, the trade war, the reality is I think every time we hear a statement out of one side or the other, it means almost nothing when we consider how significant this impasse will be. I think the most interesting thing today was this actually started before we heard about what was going on in the White House today. Because if you look, we're up 350 points, but Apple all of a sudden went from very positive into the red. And it was followed by NVIDIA and Facebook and a couple other names that were coming down. And Apple has nothing to do with that White House spat that we heard, right? I mean, literally. (laughs) Right. No, no. Uh, But, you know, you bring up trade war, that's obviously front and center. But... I think the conversations coming out of the White House today were a huge influence on the direction of the markets because the second we started to get some of those clips and the anger between the two or the three, but between Mr. Trump, our president, and the other two, that really is when we suddenly watch that market drop a couple hundred points. Next thing we know, we're down 150 points. Volatility is still too cheap, in my opinion. Trading at a 22-23, you were right, Guy. I think we, we should be at a much higher level, given the backdrop of everything we've got. You know, it's interesting. The network's been running promos for the 10-year anniversary of the Madoff. And think back to where we were on December 11, 2008. What was driving the markets then? It wasn't Ponzi schemes and stuff like that. It was really bank stocks, right? It was really how concerned investors were about some sort of contagion that could be coming out of this stuff that was daily headlines, right? So I think back to today, it's kind of interesting. It had a nice opening, right? It felt like, all right, maybe we're kind of putting a little near-term bottom in, and then banks red, and then they just can't rally. And then you start looking at the prior leadership, which is mega cap tech, and then they go red. And then all of a sudden, you're saying to yourself, this feels really bad, except for the fact the S&P 500 is only down 1.4% yeah, a I year, get, uh, which is kind of weird, right? Because it feels a lot worse. I, I, a two-part question. Yeah. I, and here's the thing. Okay, I guess what I'm asking is, are we one big Mueller headline yes. away? Listen, I from think a, and, and if so, so you believe that, yeah. if, from, a, from a serious market event, 
And if so, how do we protect we, we them? I know this is not options action. We just don't action. know how it's going to trade. I mean, I, I think what's very clear is that we have an increasingly compromised president, okay? And that's just very clear. We know he's a bit of a pugilist, right? He likes to fight back. So the question is, are we going to start seeing this sort of stuff on a daily basis when they should be able to come look, to uh, you know, a continuing resolution on the budget, but it turns into a mess? But what's the bigger issue for the market right now? Is it Washington or is it the world? It's the world. And, and there's no question. And you, you've been talking about the banks for a long time, and I think you've been largely right in terms of the price action. Uh, 20, 2008, though, those banks had a significant credit overhang. Um, they don't have that overhang today. They have an earnings overhang. And I think there's a very big difference to try to look at systemic risk. And, you know, despite the fact that they have underperformed, they're not even in a bear market yet as a group. If you look at the XLF, it's down 19%. So I think the market well, is the XLF, dude, for off the 13% highs. 13% of it is Berkshire Hathaway. Did you okay? dude him? Yeah, I did, did dude, dude, dude that, That's actually most of the... Most what, of, I'm talking on, about Tim. the XLF. Tim, most of the large up, components are down more than 20%. Citigroup's down 30% from its high. So what, so what do you because want to say? Because interest rates are going because, out of business. Because okay, hold on. Well, I just I, I want you to be intellectually honest to our viewers, Tim. Oh, stop. Please. I'm not being dishonest at all. You're trying to imply well, that banks saying, actually is not are a, looking at a 2008 a great, moment. No? It, no. Whoops. Well, banks are reacting to the, the idea that the Fed may not raise rates as much as possible, and maybe, that's why we're seeing concerns over the net interest margin come down. A little matter of fact about that. They're reacting to the fact that Chinese banks have been acting very poorly for two years. They're European. reacting to the fact that Deutsche Bank makes new lows every that day. Deutsche You're Bank's at, got its own That's issues. a different story. But hold on, Deutsche guys, Bank is its own need. thing, right? Right. Okay, you know what, Sully? Where I don't know what it's its own thing. Where were you in 07 and 08? Everything was idiosyncratic was until show. It, it all came together in a market meltdown. Everything was written off as an individual story. So we're seeing it. We're seeing GE. We're seeing Deutsche Bank. We're seeing a lot of this stuff. So you can have at it. You can put it in a like, nice little package however you want there, brother. Guy Adami. Dude. Oh. Dude. Well, we raise our hand on Chief. the show sometimes. How are you? Pal. So I, I disagree. I think Peter agrees with me. I don't think Deutsche Bank is Deutsche Bank specific. I think they're bigger fish to fry than just Deutsche Bank. And I'll tell you this. If Citibank's tangible book is $62.5, why is it trading $57 now? Why is Wells Fargo continuing to make new 52-week lows? To me, the banks with huge European exposure, which Citibank has, is telling you that maybe Deutsche Bank is not Deutsche Bank specific, and maybe there is some systemic risk there, in my opinion. Well, Deutsche Bank is systemic risk. Let's be clear. It's European systemic risk. And I, I thank you for footnoting because I think Europe's got some major problems. I think we're a headline away there. How but the that? stock is already down 50 percent. I don't want to make this a Deutsche Bank discussion, but the Deutsche Bank guy is already down 50 percent. But we're waiting if for it a was headline. Sus- we're waiting for a headline. Waiting how for does, what? How the biggest is, bank in Europe okay, has lost so half You read the papers the way we do. Are they going to be merged with Commerce Bank? Does what the government paper is that? come in and back them up? The Journal, the Times, whatever, CBC.com. Good op-eds there. <laughs> I mean, this is how it goes. <laughs> it's it's not going to stop going down until there's a headline, until there's an event. Same with GE. Okay, but but he continues. I, I think we need to get back to where we started this question. Ultimately, it gets back to is the market today on an even more difficult path because of what Washington is doing? My answer to that is no. Obviously, that's with that's that's notwithstanding a Mueller investigation. That frankly, I'm not going to. I disagree with that. I, I disagree. Yeah, I, I think that there's much more to this whole story because obviously, if more comes out, Tim, that is absolutely going to be a direct effect, yeah. right, I, on the market itself. I, I, I can't mean, handicap that. I right. I agree with that. Right. I don't want. You. I do not want to make the listen. No, I, but it's, it's not very political. Thing. It's, it's I'm going to say something. Happens. I'm going to probably regret. I don't want to make the Watergate comparisons because <laughs> there's a lot more there. Okay, but if you, if, there are people that make that sort of comparison, and if and if you are on that side of the political spectrum, the tough okay, time for the market. The market fell 50 percent over two years. Just a slow grind down. 
Maybe it was, of course, you had inflation, a lot of other issues in the 70s, Guy. But the problem is, if we start to get mired, the market rallied on a lot of optimism that Trump's agenda would be pushed through on deregulation, tax cuts. We've gotten some of that infrastructure. It's kind of still hanging out there. Nobody's saying the Mueller investigation is going to end in anything. But if it, my guess, my question is, with the volatility where it is, are we one headline away from bigger problems. Yes. That's it. Yeah. And the answer to that question, I think we all agree. Tim said more notwithstanding is yes. And it's not a political. Listen, I'm not on any side of the aisle, but if you just look at it in terms of what it could mean to the market, there's no way the VIX should be at a 22 if this is sort of out look there. Look at the and, intraday movement too, right? And it, I mean, just based on that alone, yes. it should be higher. Right. So you had top of it, a potential for more to come out within the next month, month and a half. And this VIX, instead of having a two handle, should have a three handle. And you got trade war, sorry, Tim, but we have trade war going on, obviously, or skirmish, however you want to frame it. But either way, we are dealing with that. And all of a sudden you throw in what's going on right now in Washington and the Mueller investigation. All of that, Sully, we are too cheap in volatility. I'm telling that's you right it. now, and how do we, we so are too low. How do we quickly, we're getting into Tobias Lefkowitz, how do we protect ourselves? That's all we're saying here. You protect if you believe that and you're worried about any kind of headline, what can you do to bank to protect your portfolio right now? Well, you, first of all, you should have listened when we talked about volatility By being puts, very, very low. Puts. But even now, yes, in the S&P 500, if that's what your exposure is, or the NASDAQ, if that's what your Depends on where your you exposure levels are. But you absolutely could do that through the S&P. Options action. We need Friday. a block of TV. All right, Sully. despite Sorry. the turmoil, our next guest says do not fear the bears. The bulls are going to eventually come out on top. Let's bring in City's chief U.S. equity strategist, our friend Tobias Levkovich, who says there is a 90% chance that the markets will be higher one year from today than today. Why so optimistic, Tobias? Hi, Brian. So let's, let's step back for a minute. Back in September, everybody on the street was bullish. Our panic euphoria model, which is our primary sentiment metric, was signaling 70% chance the market was going down. But everybody's talking about 2,900 going to 3,100, 3,200, 3,300. That was the, the, the kind of voice that was going there. And when you worried about trade, not really, because everybody was still buying tech, which is in the crosshairs of the IP kind of transfer, force transfer kind of debate around trade. So it was fascinating to me. Today we're sitting in an environment where that model is almost in panic territory. We're not there yet, but it's still signaling better than 90% probability of markets being higher. At the same time, some of our valuation models are generating the same kind of condition. I've heard comparisons to previous periods, 1973-74. Oil prices tripled on a war in the Middle East with massive inflation, crushed the economy. It's just not the same environment. It could happen, obviously, but you're betting on a scenario that may or may not happen and we got to move away from that. You want to go back to 0708 and the banks, last point, 0708, the banks and all that, credit was coming apart at the seams. If you look at credit conditions today, not anywhere close to that. Nowhere. Are, are they cracking it all, though, Tobias? The one thing we've talked about, I'm kind of the oil and gas guy, so forgive me for focusing on that. $240 billion in, in oil and gas debt maturing globally over the next five years. We're starting to see any cracks in high yield at all? So in high yield, you are seeing it. You've moved 100 basis points on credit spreads widening, and that's been heavily influenced by the, by the uh, credits in energy. Remember, energy is about 16 17% of the high yield market. It's about 5 6% of the S&P 500. So let's keep those two separate. Go to IG, kind of investment grade. It's moved 50 basis points. And keep in mind, the 10-year yield moved in 40 basis points. So actual corporate cost has gone up 10 basis points. That is not cracking credit. It just isn't. 
I got a quick question for Tobias, if I could. Tobias, back in January 2015, you put out a piece and you were talking about the volatility index, something we talked about earlier. You said it's never a buy, or it isn't a buy, actually, between the levels of 20 and 25. Do you stick with that right now? Because I know you did back in 2015. Do you believe that now as well? I, I do believe it, but it's got to stay there for more than a few days. And, and that's the, the key issue, where we have volatility, so this stuff moves around. What I will tell you is if you do correlations, and I know people don't like to do math, but if you do correlations on the VIX relative to future market outcomes, the correlation is particularly poor. It is a great coincident indicator. It's not a future predictor of, of great value. It's not consistent over time. If you do things that are a little bit more intriguing, like looking at premiums paid for puts versus calls, if you look at both margin debt and short, and, and short interest, if you throw in on top cash positions that people have, if you kind of build much more robust models, then you get those 90% probabilities, or back in September, 70% chance of losing money. So you've got to kind of get something a little bit more, I don't know if the right word is, robust in terms of the structure, single single correlation, single factor correlation could break down at any point in time. Tobias Levkovich of City, remaining optimistic out there. Tobias, thank you very much for your time. We always do appreciate it here. Guy Dami, he's yes, bullish and he's optimistic and on he's credit. he's a stud. He's, he's one of the, if there was sort of a pantheon, you know, pantheon, pantheon he, he's right at the zenith <laughs> of the pantheon. That's a lot right there. With that said, something, in my opinion, something changed in October. We went from a 10-year market where you buy every sell-off to now it seems like Every rally's being sold. That's a fundamental change in the market for the number of different reasons, many of which we talked about at the top of the show. All right, guys, thank you. On deck, the average retail stock down about 15% just this quarter. Ouch. But the former CEO of Home Depot says the group is about to make a comeback. Bob Nardelli on next. And the CEO of Google testifying on the Hill. Fears of regulation looming over big tech. What he said and what it could mean for the stock coming up. And then... Guy Adami stepping up to the plate with the name he says will soar in this volatile market. Ooh. This isn't a Stallone movie. He's going to give us his fast Cobra. Pitch. We are Cobra 2. We are <laughs> Turner and Hooch. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Google CER Sundar Pichai on the congressional hot seat today. Lawmakers grilling him on everything from regulation to privacy to user data and more. Elon Mui, join us from Washington with a hot day on the Hill. Elon. O'Brien, you can call it Pichai's political baptism. It was his first time testifying before Congress, and lawmakers made the most of it. They wanted to know how Google handles data privacy, exactly what type of data Google collects, and what it does with that information. We recognize the important role of governments, including this committee, in setting rules for the development and use of technology. To that end, we support federal privacy legislation and proposed a legislative framework for privacy earlier this year. 
Now, there are several bills in the works that would require consumers to opt in to share their data. They would also strengthen the FTC's enforcement power. Now, Google says it already gives users plenty of control over their own data. It said 160 million people accessed their ad privacy settings just last month. Now, there were also tough questions on China and the company's plans to operate there. Pichai said all that is on hold for now. Right now, we have no plans to launch in China. We, have, we don't have a search product there. Uh, our, our core mission is to provide users access to information, and getting access to information is an important human right. So we are always compelled across the world uh, to try hard to provide that information. And, but right now, there are no plans to launch search in China. Now, Pichai tried to frame Google as an American company upholding American values. He even brought in his own personal story as an Indian immigrant now turned CEO. He said he is grateful for freedom. Brian clearly learning Washington lingo there. Back over to you. Uh, yes, he was. Methinks he may have had some media training ahead of that. <laughs> just a little a, bit of coaching. Just a random guess. Ilan, thank you very much. All right, guys, so here is the trillion-dollar question. Mm. Is big tech about to be regulated? Big league. And if so, Pete, what does it mean for stocks? I think there, there is going to be some regulation, absolutely. Bigly, I would say probably, something in that category. But Bigly. regardless of that, I, I look for names in a, in a market like we're in right now, right? I look for the names that are absolutely slammed. You look for, for the low P.E. names that have been sold off to the point where it's ridiculous. Apple would be one of those names. It's literally off from those 230 highs down there towards 164. And just yesterday, there was monstrous call buying that came in there. I think that creates opportunity. I also think that when I look at something like an Apple right now, it's been oversold in my opinion. I look at the valuations, the cash, everything everybody talks about. I think it's been sold off too far. Yeah, look, in this environment, it's very easy to see why the big dogs are ones that people are going after, bigly. Bottom line is Google, Pete talks about this. These guys could earn almost 60 bucks a share next year, and at that ratio, you're talking, you know, somewhere, you know, inside of 20 times earnings. So for a company that I do think is going to see more regulation, I do think GDPR is coming to the soil. And I think companies, it's less about the regulations, how they internally handle privacy for their users. What if they're, what if the they're market broke, will decide. What if they're broken up? You think there's a risk they're broken no, up? I mean, Facebook, no, you know, Google. You, no, listen, you know, as it relates to Google, because that's what we're talking about who's on the Hill today, I mean, we have not spent a lot of time as it relates to what we did earlier in the year with Facebook. You know, Facebook, um, they've seen a dramatic downshift in their earnings because of their spend and also their uh, inability to monetize the way that they were doing prior before they made some changes. This is happening with Google next year. I mean, we've been talking about it, and you're going to be right to not bet on it. I already have. Music. They've been in no, a couple of But not Google. Office, You've been defending the, the, the Google. <laughs> well, I've been talking about, I've been talking about regulation. I've been talking right. about how these companies but, handle but, privacy. But my point and is, that's is that you said society. that Google could be earning upwards of $60 a share next year. I think that's just... We'll you know, see if that right that's 56 bucks is the consensus. I think it's probably closer. For, for, for 2019, you know, somewhere around 58 to me is consensus. But that's only... That is roughly 6% earnings growth. Okay. That's nothing Could you buy it if you believe only 56, not 60? No, you can buy it if you don't think that there's going to be a mountain of regulatory stuff coming their way. Or they're not going to have another headline that they're going to have to deal with and, and drag their management back yeah. to the Hill, that sort of thing, and have a Facebook situation. Okay, good discussion. For more on Google CEO Trip to the Hill and what it could mean for technology, head over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Yep, he really is. But the former CEO of JCPenney, Bob Nardelli, says even the Grinch can't stop retailers from making a comeback this holiday season. He'll be here to explain why. Plus, Guy Adami is stepping up to the plate to tell us the one stock he says will soar in this volatile market. He'll give us his fast pitch. 
There's much more Fast Money still ahead. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're exactly two weeks from Christmas Day. Well, 13 days, six hours, 33 minutes, and four seconds. But who's counting? You. The home stretch for consumers and the throngs of holiday shopping, some of them right outside this window. But retail stocks have struggled. The group's slumping back toward its lowest levels of the year. Bob Pisani, we call him Mr. Christmas, is down at the NYC to break it down for us. Bob. Not so ho-ho-ho for the retailers. Hey, it's great to see you, Brian, by the way. Plenty of retailers sitting at or near 52-week lows. List is long. Includes Tiffany's, Coors, Best Buy, Coach's Owner Tapestry, Children's Place, Lazy Boy, Boutique Retailer Francesca's Holdings. Pretty long list here. Now, the main retail ETF, the symbol's XRT, basket of all the retailers in the S&P 500, is also just off its 52-week low here. All right, so what is the problem here? There is the usual macro concerns that this may be as good as it gets. You've heard that before with comp store sales this time, which did improve this year, by the way. And even broader concerns that we could be in the later stages of this big upswing in consumer spending. In other words, peak consumer spending. There's a bigger way to think of this, though. The retailers are still transitioning from in-store sales to online sales. Online sales are growing a lot faster. And companies need to invest in both stores and in online. And that is a very expensive proposition. That's a problem. You add in high labor costs. You add in transportation costs that are increasing. And it means not a lot of earnings growth. And margins are getting hurt. That's probably the prime story here. Now, for many, the key, of course, is differentiation. You've heard this before. You need to own your space. Like a Lululemon, for example. Now, they can still grow. But third-party retailers, like the department stores selling other people's stuff, that's tough. It's not easy to do right now. Let's look at a former darling like Ulta Beauty, down recently a lot. They sell other people's stuff, so they have to keep discounting to attract customers. They've increased their revenues a lot. It's been great for them, but their operating margins don't go up much. There's just too much competition out there. So is there any really good news? Well, the weather's colder. <laughs> That's good news. And there's a lot of companies like Macy's and Home Depot. I could go on. They are well-managed and they have good balance sheets. But the cost of serving the customer is going up and it's harder to charge for it. And that's the bottom line. Back to you, Brian. That is the bottom line. And, Bob, it's great to see you as well as always. Thank you very much. Well, despite all the uncertainty surrounding the strength of both the retailers and the consumer, is a comeback in the works. Bob Nardelli, you know him. He's the former CEO of Home Depot. He is also the former CEO of Chrysler. Amid other things, your business card has six sides to it, Bob. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> all right, so that's we funny. talked about this before the show. That's yeah, Tiffany. Good, I, I think Bob made, made a lot of good points. If you look at it, 
there's a real disconnect between the market price and performance. Yeah. You know, a lot of these retailers are up 2 3% comps. That's pretty good. E-commerce is up maybe in the high teens. So the omni-channel part of this thing is really kicking in. <clears throat> I, I think that you guys talked about it with a great deal of energy early on As about do. the external events that are really crushing the market. And look at Home Depot. They had a great third quarter and they get crushed, right? <clears throat> Why? Well, because I think of these external events. If you think about housing maybe getting soft, See, Home Depot has two cycles. They have an investment cycle and they have a maintenance cycle. Housing's up, people are investing, bathrooms, kitchens, flipping. Housing's down, they're in a maintenance cycle. So I'm not saying they're Teflon, but they've got a great model. Is right? one a better cycle for Home Depot, Bob? Is one a better? A better cycle. Is the investment cycle better than the maintenance cycle? No, I, I th the investment cycle, clearly, it's a bigger ticket. It's a bigger average ticket. So I think that's, that's really a good sign to it. Right, so we talked about the broader market last time you were here, and you voiced some concerns. A lot of those are coming to fruition, but we've sold off since then. Do you think the market's getting towards levels where it's interesting again, or do you think the worst is still yet to come? I think we have so many external events. You got Brexit. You got May, who voted no confidence. You got France on fire. You got uh, the tariff issue. We got the issue in Saudi Arabia. You got the Fed rate. You talked about the banks and the interest rates not going up. Banks are getting crushed. I think we're in for a frothy period, to be honest with you, Guy. Bob, is GM a, a villain here? I mean, you've sat in that same seat on some level, a company that you know, needs to run yeah. as lean and mean as possible. Your thoughts? Absolutely not. You know, I give Mary Bauer a ton of credit for standing tall, not the traditional auto executive that holds on just in case. She, she made a bold move. They're not buying sedans. She's got to get out of the business to be able to weather what could be a slight downturn in the auto industry next year. Now, if the tariffs, you know, if we go from 40% to a more reasonable, maybe we get a little lift out of China with the tariffs. You know, if you think about Chrysler, you know, Mike Manley couldn't have timed the announcement better to talk about opening a Jeep plant, but Jeep is over the top, guy. I mean, 80% of the operating profits at Chrysler comes from Jeep and the Ram 1500. So, I think the auto industry is going through a little bit of a, a froth right now. Ford's going to have the same announcement. Wait and see. We're going to see that come out about sedans. Gasoline prices, you got over 22 states under two bucks a gallon. People love big cars in the U.S. The question will be when will that turn? Mm -hmm. But right now, people like trucks, they like SUVs. Fuel prices are down. That's going to help the consumer. That's discretionary money that's going in their pocket. That's why I think you're going to have a good holiday. So, Bob, back to retail for a sec. You and I were talking about Best Buy before. It's down 30% in just the last few months. They put up some good numbers, good comps, right? Yes. So the question I have for you is we know that they compete with Amazon. Amazon just got hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars in incentives from local governments. Um, how do Best Buys of the world compete on another leg now? Because it's yeah. not just Amazon being dominant. They have their um, omni-channel now. But yes. now they actually have incentives. They're basically subsidized by the government. Yeah. Well, you know, incentives are, 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 are a challenge because if you, you know, you're picking winners and losers. Let, let's talk about Best Buy for a moment. That company was in the ditch and you look at what they've done. They've remodeled, they've reprofiled, you know, they, they've uh, on the electronic side, those are all, you know, put there on consignment. They're able to change. They're not getting tuck, stuck with a lot of inventory. Best Buy's done a great job over the last 18, 24 months. I think that the, the incentives and the subsidies that the Amazon has gotten does create a, a competitive disadvantage 
for a lot of the other retailers. Well, you know, I don't, and I don't want to pick on Target because Brian Cornell, the CEO, came on Squawk Box about a month ago in this building and said it is the greatest consumer environment of his 30-whatever-year retail career. And I think that was the day the market almost peaked because then we've seen targets. Yes. I'm not picking on Target again, but what's happened? Bob, is the question, why your know, Best Buy is down 30-some percent in two and a half months. Tiffany, down 30% in 90 days. Their business is not off 30%. Yeah, yeah do you really think Tiffany, I mean, stand out in front of Tiffany's. Uh, there's it, a line. There's a line. I mean, so, again, there's a disconnect, I believe, between what's happening on the stock price and what's really happening on the floor of those retail stores. And that disconnect, you think, is a buying opportunity? Uh, could be a buying opportunity. I'm still a little, I'm still a little cautious. Okay. Well, let's get more. Bob, thank you very much. Let's trade this. Pete, I know you're, well, yeah. first off, you're a hometown homer. You like Best Buy and Target. Yeah, you but live in Home Minneapolis. Depot's not in my town, and I just <laughs> I bought that last out. week. I mean, homer, so Home Depot is a $215 stock. It sounds a lot like Apple. $215 stock. All they've done is produce, and Bob was talking about that. Their numbers were great. You look at the e-commerce side, that's been great as well, and yet it's sold, sold off. I think those are opportunities, Brian. Now, in a market like this where computer-generated selling is there, they don't care about fundamentals. That's just hitting stocks. So during those kind of moments, I think you have to look at names like Home Depot, like Target. Target was trading in the 80s, and all of a sudden it gets sold off, not for any reasons other than yeah, computer exactly. selling. Okay, it that's it. The, numbers are, the CEO's super bullish. The numbers are good. The stock tanks. You and believe our, it's the algo, and the, our, the yeah, algorithmic Yes, trader. and I think the economy uh, is good. And the economy is Target's got competition from everybody in the world. Home Depot does not. Home Depot is running their margins better. They're going to be buying back $10 billion of stock. That's a company that, to me, is Defensive in this environment. Oh, you've never been to Menards up in uh, the Upper Midwest. You're right about that. Turn and Hooch should both shop there. Well, Bob, except Tango and Cash. (laughs) Bob Nardelli in in the commercial break came up to me and said, You know, I don't know what Brian Solomon's talking about. He goes, Not only was Sylvester Sloan not in Turn and Hooch, he wouldn't be seen dead watching the movie. That Brian (laughs) must be just a little tired. I don't know. I mean, it was Bob Nardelli. It's my annual mistake. Mea culpa. I meant to say Tango and Cash. I said Turner and Hooch. Wasn't calling Guy Adami a Mastiff. He's more like a, a lovable labradoodle. Blood no, 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 no. <laughs> I think of my Do- a Doberman. No, a Dachshund. No, not a Doberman. Or Rottweiler, actually. Uh, Still ahead. Crude oil catching a, you know, a little bit of a bid today, but the OPEC premium wiped out. Oil down 30% from its October high. We got Mike Kelly putting out a big report on where the opportunity is. He is on set with us live to talk about energy. And Guy is stepping up to the plate. All four paws ready to go. Getting ready to pitch the one stock, he says, could be your best bet in all the volatility. Dan and Pete helping him warm up. Find out the name and why they are wearing Lay's when Fast Money returns. Well, the music is appropriate because it certainly has been a wild couple of months for the market. The S&B closing in on a correction down 10% off its high with nearly half of the index in what they call bear market, maybe down 20%. Guy Adami says... He has a way to take advantage of all the volatility. All right. Let's be your Huckleberry. Well, Head on yes. over to the plasma. Yes, I do, Brian. And, and give us the good. fast pitch. You know, we Brian. do something here on this show. You do that worldwide exchange early in the morning. By, great job, by the way. Dan. We do something here called the power pitch. Pete, Pete, Tim, no, Dan knows all about it. Power pitch. Fast pitch. Well, yeah, thank you, Pete. Yeah. And we're going to power pitch something. You know what we're going to power pitch today, Brian? <laughs> the Chicago Mercantile Exchange comes out. CME. And you say, guy, why is that? It's a huge valuation, 26 times forward earnings. Stock's been on a rocket ship higher. You'd be correct. However, as Pete said at the top of the show, and I agree, 
volatility is not only here to stay, I think it's going a little bit higher. You can take advantage of volatility synthetically owning this stock. Number two, trading volumes are rising. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look at the October numbers, I believe, trading volume was up 37% year over year. That's significant. The last one, and I know Pete Najarian loves this, he focused on it. Management is great. Terry Duffy, who runs that place, is a genius. He's been on the show a number of times. He steered them through some rocky times, and I believe right now they're in their sweet spot. So although the stock is rich, although the stock has rallied, I think the Chicago Mercantile Exchange has more room to the upside. So, Guy, Pete here, and I agree with all three of those points. Very good ones. As a matter of fact, Terry Duffy is as good as it gets. Here's the question for you. Does the valuation level of that name, I know you mentioned it, but does that bother you at all? Or do you say, you know what, I can look past that because of these three factors? That's the one thing. Listen, 26 times is expensive. I think you look at other exchanges, it's probably the most expensive exchange out there. In my opinion, and I know we're tenants of the NASDAQ, which, by the way, is also a great company, a great stock, it might be, in this environment, the most valuable exchange out there. So I think in the times that we find ourselves in, 26 times, you can justify it. You don't have to be comfortable with it, but you can justify it. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Guy's Pitch, and I mean you, us, and also the audience, on the CME Group? Pete Nigerian. Chicago guy, I got to go with guy. This is a full buy. I think that 26 PE is actually not that high, given the fact that volume and volatility are as high as they are. Giddy up. Mm, giddy up. You know what? Love you, guy. Don't love this pick. Major run, sell. Bottom line. Sorry, there we go. Look at that. Sell. <laughs> Even just the way I held it tells you all you need to know. Uh, I'm obviously with Tim here. I'm a sell, and I'll tell you why. You know, things were getting kind of volatile in 2007. This stock had a massive breakout, just like it just broke out into this volatility. The stock went down 78% from the early 2008 highs to the 2009 lows. This stock will not be immune. Why is he hiding off into the side there? Because he knows. I'm upset. I'm you know, I'm upset. I have feelings too. Come on out. All right. Come on out. We're all friends. Come here. on I'll back. Give you a one buy. On. The one buy, two sells on the desk. But hey, guy, listen. We, care, we don't care about these guys. We care about the vote. audience. Yeah, the audience. We care about the audience. Are you at home buying Guy's Pitch to buy the Chicago Mercantile Exchange? Ooh. Vote in our Twitter poll on CNBC Fast Celine. Money. We'll There's lots of time oh, left to vote. Yeah. That's just Tim's family voting right now. We're going to get the full results later on in the show. Plus, Turn OPEC pitch. turning into NOPEC. We are back to pre-production <laughs> cut levels. What expert says the bottom may be near. He's got three names to buy right now. Fast Money still ahead. All right, let's talk oil now. The OPEC meeting last week, cutting production by 1.2 million barrels per day. Oil rallied about mm-hmm. 4% when it happened. Well, guess what? It's now given all that back. But our next guest says the crude crush is coming to an end, but there are a few names in the space to play for a bounce. We're joined now by energy expert Mike Kelly, head of ENP Research at Seaport Global Securities. Mike, it's, listen, you and I got to stop meeting like this. I mean, oil is all over the place. Yeah. You've been digging into the stocks, though, that you like. Are there names that you cover, and you just put out a big report, I think it was last night or this morning, yep. that can do well even if oil goes to 40? Are there names out there that can do it? Yeah. Uh, you know, even if 40, 40 is pressed and, and things change at 42, cost to drill, frack a well comes down, too. So that, that'll benefit you. But today we put out a report said, all right, what can guys do in the $50 environment? And there's only, of the names we cover, there's seven that really generate free cash flow and give you decent growth. I mean, I, I think if you... At 50 bucks, there's it, seven mid-sized mid-large, E&P companies, yeah, yes. Permian-based primarily? Primarily, yes. Yeah. So, you know, you, 
you do yourself a world of good if you just buy Concho, Diamondback, and then a little gas exposure with, um, with Cabot, oil and gas, too. So you buy those three. Those are Concho, Diamondback, the original Fang, and Cabot, oil and gas, COG. What are roughly some of their break-even costs? Yeah, so they'll tell you it's down in the 20s. They could actually make money. Um, nobody wants it there, a good corporate return. Um, but, you know, you're actually, you know, at 40, they'll, they'll make it work. Mike, where the big, what's the biggest misperception right now with oil prices lower? Is it in the oil services or is it actually in the big integrateds and that they're actually, in other words, people actually may be going too far to be bullish on integrateds here because the free cash flow yields are nice. Where would you rather be? Yeah, I, we prefer being in the EMP stocks, the guys that actually have the acreage, that have the properties. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've been going around seeing accounts here the last day and a half. It's almost at, hopefully, the point of capitulation. The sentiment is so bad around the space. It's, it's disastrous. And we've got names that are actually trading now close to blowdown values. If you fired everybody at the company, just let these wells pay out. And that, that's never happened. I've been covering the space for 12 years. You never see a good resource player get to that level. How much of a buyout premium is in some of these names? What we've seen is Chevron, Exxon, caught Occidental. They want, they want the acreage. And we've seen yep. some deals. Yep. Is there going to be some kind of a floor on some of these names just from if they keep falling, there's going to be a deal premium baked in? Yeah, yep. this is basically, I don't know if you're sitting in my last meeting, Brian, but this was a lot of um, chatter on one big name out there in the Permian right now, Endeavor. It's a private company. Um, the thought is it's a $15 billion transaction that's coming down the pipe. It would be around 40000 an acre priced in. Uh, you got names that are traded at half of that on a per acre basis. So that should you know, kind of slap you around like, hey, if Exxon's here and is actually going to pay that, you know, we should value some of these companies, a Diamondback, a Parsley, a Pioneer, it's something higher. There have been a few analysts that have taken down their rankings in capital oil and gas. A lot of people talk about valuation being a little rich, 15 times earnings. But the price target still 27, 28. Is that what you're looking for? Because I think the stock is trading around 23 now. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, newsflash, gas is at like 450. And this, that's a gas company. They're going to generate about $600 million of free cash flow in Q1. It's insane for a company with an enterprise value under 10. So um, it, it's, you know, it's one that we love it even more right now where gas prices That's are. a good point because some of these have both things because when you drill for oil, you often get gas coming out of it as well. Is the street undervaluing any of the gas assets of some of these companies? Uh, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think Cabot's best of breed. You know, they, the productivity of their wells is yeah. 2x everybody else. Um, but right now, I mean, you have in the Permian, there's so much. Gas is the byproduct product. Two weeks ago, gas was selling at zero. The guys would actually pay, pay you to take it away. Yeah. You got it. If you can get yeah. it out, you're good. Yeah. Mike Kelly, Seaport Global Securities, Concho, Diamondback, Capital Oil and Gas. Good to see you, Mike. Got Thank it. you very much. Thanks, gentlemen. All right, guys, listen, this has been a space to Mike's point. I mean, listen, investors have been burned. Well, they've it's, given up. I mean, listening to him say this is as low as he's seen in 12 years when what we went through in 2014 15 is really extraordinary. I, I think if you also look at the big cap uh, integrated names, the free cash flow yields are impressive. I think MLPs are also very interesting here. I think the yields are interesting. I think a lot of these projects are already funded and the production growth is there. I like MLPs. We play a game. We play a lot of games on the show, but one we play with is Would a you duck. Rather? No, no, no. Oh. The one with the duck where you shoot it if you want it, and then the target. Remember that game? And they, Field and Melissa looked at me and said, "What Never do you think about well, Exxon Mobil?" And I said, "You got to let that fly away." And you got all my grill, probably correctly. Oh, I did. So, yeah, you did. Oh, sorry. But I think Exxon. Listen, I understand <laughs> so all the stories, but I think there's a real good chance that this retest the low we made back in March, seventy-two and a half, seventy-three dollars. So in terms of the big cap. Integrated names, I would avoid them right here. Well, the oldest producer of the Permian is Chevron. A lot of people don't realize that. that they've been there for yep. a long time. Occidental's been there for a very Those long time. Those free cash flows are tough to deny. 
You've got to watch, the, you gotta watch the debt levels. That's the real yeah. story. Oil and gas is a debt story as much yep. as anything else. All right. If you can't get enough of the oil trade, tune into Mad Money because Jim is going to do a big breakdown on the crude charts. That is at the top of the hour. Can't wait to watch that. Plus, one trader just made a more than $3 million bet. This Dow stock could plunge more than 20% over the next year. $3 million bet. A Dow stock drops 20%. We'll tell you what that name is coming up. More Fast Money right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Consumer stocks certainly feeling the heat as worries over an economic slowdown take investors for a wild ride. The CEO of Coca-Cola addressing the company's global fears in an interview with CNBC's Sarah Eisen earlier today. 2019, I think, is uncertain. Um, you know, you've got lots of forecasts out there, whether it's the U.S. or globally, saying there's going to be growth next year. Maybe not as much as 20, 2018, um, a little bit slower, but still growth. Mm-hmm. Still growth in the U.S., still growth in the global economy. Um, so we think the consumers are going to have the money, uh, and so we're, we're bullish on our plan. All right, but his bullish outlook did not impress one trader who, get this, hmm. made a $3 million bet against Coca-Cola stock today. Dan is at the plasma with the action. All right, Sully, hold on with that uh, tease there. I mean, who knows what this is against. It could be protection, but put volume ran really hot today in Coca-Cola, about five times average daily volume. The one trade that Sully's talking about, the largest trade in the name on the day, was a buy of uh, 35,000 of the January 2020. Okay, so over a year from now, 40 strike puts, paying a dollar for those to open. Those break even at 39 bucks, down 21% in January 2020. And again, why do I I say this, you know, the options market is only saying there's about a 15% probability that those options, those puts are going to be in the money on January expiration 2020. So a good way to get your risk manager off your back is maybe to buy some way out of the money puts and to find your risk over the next year or so. Um, let's just quickly go to the charts here. This stock has obviously outperformed the broad markets up about 5% uh, versus the S&P, which is down about 1.5%. You know, a lot of sideway action all year just broke out. It's consolidated here looks pretty good. Um, I want to make one other point, though. Let's look at this five-year chart. This is a really nice uptrend, a series of higher highs and higher lows. Here's the one problem I have. Look at every time it's broken out to a new high, okay, over the last five years. It's had a 10% plunge in a couple months after. So to me, this one may not be one to chase at 52-week highs right here. All right, don't chase it. Got it. For more options action, you can check out the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, up next... Your final trades. You know what Guy's been listening to every morning when he's gearing up for a day of trading before the market opens? Tony Braxton. Oh, wow, he made a comeback. Because the Twitterverse is voting against this pitch for CME. Only about 31% of viewers voted for your pitch. It's actually a victory, Brian, because I thought he was getting Celine. I mean, it was very close to a Dion tonight. That's a good point, Tim. Good for you. Forward, relative victory. All right, it's time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete, your final trade. I'm going to go with Target. I think it's oversold. I think it's a great opportunity. Giddy up. Tim, uh, come on. No, it was not a Warwick. It was a Dion. And, and I tell you, Home Depot will get you done. Sanders. Home, Home Depot? Depot? You like it? You like yeah. what Bob Nardelli uh, to say? Yeah, and I'm not chasing defensive names like Coke here. Not chasing the names. Kayadami. You know, Dion, wasn't Ouch. she one less spell to answer, Dion Warwick? 
She's a what? Look at me. Go with the dance, Supergirl. Yeah, right. the nice prom. job, Brian. Thanks nice for job. coming. Way to go, Brian. Yeah, we'll all be on Worldwide Exchange tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. as well. And nice here call. tomorrow night, that does it for us. Thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim Craper begins right now. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.